0: Welcome back to the Fearless Training Raw Knowledge Podcast with your host, myself, as always, Alex Connor. And today it's episode 13 and I've got a very special guest. It's the one and only Dr. Joe Klemzeski. Now, Joe is largely regarded as the godfather of flexible dieting amongst other things and his positive impact and his influence within the industry, especially within the realms of physique sports. Now, a little bit more about Joe. He's the president and founder of The Diet Doc. He's earned a multitude of degrees in physical therapy, health, nutrition, literary journalism, health education, and social psychology at Harvard. Uh, Joe began licensing The Diet Doc business model in 2007, has developed almost 150 Diet Doc weight loss centers around the world. He's spoken at universities, school systems, fitness camps, medical organizations, and Fortune 500 companies. He's a contributing science editor for Kilo or Cello Publishing for 14 years. His articles regularly appeared in Iron Man, Natural Bodybuilding, and Fitness Exercise for Men, and Best Body. Many have been translated for German, Italian, and Asian publications, respectively. He's written for numerous websites, including eDiets and Huffington Post, and has contributed chapters for fitness industry books, and has edited physiology textbooks for a major publisher. His book, The Diet Docs Guides to Permanent Weight Loss, co-authored with Dr. Scott Uloth, was released in 2009 by Harvest House Publishing and 50 Days to Your Best Life in 2014, co-authored by Dr. Corey Probst. Joe is a retired WNBF professional drug-free bodybuilder, certified strength and conditioning specialist, and is certified through the International Society of Sports Nutrition. Once again, he's known as the godfather of flexible dieting. And if you don't know who Joe is, you definitely will after this episode. And he is one of the many people uh, to have impacted the industry. And he has probably been one of the main key influences to revolutionize the science of contest prep that led to coaching uh, industry that exists today and um, he's inspired many and was the The protagonist, if you will, for for much of that. And he's personally coached more than 400 client pro cards, more than 150 to pro titles, and almost 50 to world championships titles collectively. And that is some of which we get into within this episode. Once again, we're sticking with the theme of nutrition. This one is a cracker. For all of you coaches and physique athletes out there who want to improve your coaching, improve your knowledge, perhaps your practices and your protocols, this one is the one to listen in on very closely and also follow the links in the descriptions to learn more about Joe and how you can become a better coach and perhaps improve some of your systems and better educate yourself around the realms of physique sports and your approach to nutrition. But anyway, guys, Without further ado, enjoy this conversation between myself and Dr. Joe Klemzeski. Joe, thank you for joining me on the Fearless Training Raw Knowledge Podcast, my friend. My pleasure. Great to be here. Now, uh, let's start off as we always do. Uh, for those of you who may not be aware of who you are, a little bit of a background about you and uh, what you do and why you do it. All right. Well, um, gosh, all the way back when I
1: was a teenager, maybe even preteen, I, I started working out, started lifting weights. And a lot of that was as any young childhood boy would, would travel that, that particular path. It was, it was simply to get better for sports. You know, I was a baseball player. Mm-hmm. Uh, personally, as I was hitting those those teenage years, I, I wanted to improve myself. So I don't think I could articulate it quite like that, but just biologically, I decided, hey, I want to be bigger, stronger. I want to be leaner, and so naturally, I, I gravitated toward um, muscle magazines on the the newsstands and. Would even go spend my allowance money, uh, you know, buying supplements at a, at a little natural health food store. This is this is pre-internet, pre-Amazon, pre-reviews. Everything, you know, was just driven by magazines. And so the, the industry really had a captivated audience and, and I became a product of that. So I, I got swept up into the soap opera of competitive bodybuilding. I was watching Mr. Olympia. And as Joe Weeder was a master of just creating that that narrative, you know, there were always these these stories of who's going to win the next one and this and that, and so that became very intriguing to me. Mm-hmm. And so my my very first love in this entire fitness arena was training. I, I was just enamored by lifting weights, improving. I would follow protocols in magazines. So as a as a young guy, that was that that became part of my my goal set. I very early on said, I want to compete as a bodybuilder. And I thought it would be separate. Mm-hmm. You know, I had my career path. I was going to go to college and I was majoring in business and marketing. And then I just decided, you know, I was probably 19 or 20 years old, maybe maybe a little older. And I thought, gosh, I just, I don't want to do this. I want to I want to incorporate more of what I love. And so I switched majors over to physical therapy. And even back then, this would have been Uh, maybe the late 80s early 90s exercise science wasn't even really an academic pursuit yet that people could build a career from so so I went into physical therapy because I thought that was a close second at least I would learn physiology and I could at least do a career that was similar to my interest in health and fitness and biomechanics yeah and then still compete as a bodybuilder train and that would just be a hobby So I was going down that path, and, and I was working as an orthopedic physical therapist, and I, I saw a program that offered a, a you know, combined master's and doctorate in nutrition, and I thought, well, I, you know, this, this will help my hobby of, of bodybuilding. So I, I started doing that purely for my own personal development, and then all of a sudden I was in my late 20s, and I had turned pro, I had started competing as a bodybuilder and became a drug-free you know, WNBF pro bodybuilder the same year that I finished my doctorate in nutrition. So getting involved with the WNBF, I, I met Steve Downs, who was then the editor-in-chief of Natural Bodybuilding and Fitness. Mm-hmm. And when he found out I had a, a doctorate in nutrition, and he had five or six magazines he had to fill with articles every month or every quarter. You know, he naturally said, hey, would you, would you like to start writing for us? So that was, that was my foray into the media world. That's how I got known in the industry and was invited to speak at camps. So again, this was still, you know, late, late 90s, early 2000s now. So mm-hmm. many people probably listening to your podcast weren't even involved in that era, maybe one generation removed from, from their entry into the sport. But uh, you know, then, then I decided to leave physical therapy uh, as a profession, and I, I bought a gym where I could revamp it and start doing some um, you know, corporate wellness-type things, including nutrition, including some physical therapy. We, we grew our training staff so we could really focus on that. That, that was even just getting started, really personal training at the time. Mm -hmm. So I was still on two tracks. There was my professional bodybuilding career that was still a hobby. And now I had at least moved my occupation into the health and fitness arena. And then gradually, as I was writing for these magazines, uh, it became kind of a perfect merger, maybe just through serendipity. But uh, I remember as I was writing for these magazines, I I started advertising for contest prep. There was a, a point in time... Where I had to come up with an ad. I was doing an ad trade for articles. And I just, on a whim, I thought, well, I do this for fun. I do it for friends. And so maybe somebody would actually pay for this as a service. The the entire field of nutrition and contest prep coaching did not exist. There was nobody doing that. So I put that little ad in Natural Bodybuilding Magazine. And that started the whole process. You know, three, four, five years later, uh, it was just taking off as a dynamic part of the industry, especially as social media grew. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Facebook was the first platform for social media. And as soon as people were communicating more through those platforms,
0: it really grew. So, um, so here we are today. Yeah. So, I mean, you've seen, Dan, that's quite a journey. And thank you for the, the intro, Joe. It's good. It gives a bit of a, a chronological perspective on things. You've seen that all evolve then as well over the time. What do you think, from your experience, the direction of the industry is going to take next as a whole, and what are the main changes that you've seen, apart from technology, from when you started in the industry to to, to where we are now?
1: Yeah, I think there are a lot of similarities to our industry that would come with any new innovation. Uh, Anytime something is tested in the marketplace, there's, there's a time of social proof, of, of creating proof of concept, and it's either going to make it or it's not. And then, you know, and that's a tough time. So if, if you consider me and, and the first couple coaches after me, you know, we were actually carving a path to see if anybody w- would follow. And whether we knew it or not, all of a sudden, you know, that, that happened in mass. So, you know, within two or three generations of, of people that I had personally coached, who then were coaching other people then the floodgates opened up and now everybody in the world as you know you know is is training clients even on the side it, whether they're a personal trainer whether they're a you know bodybuilder themselves or a powerlifter everybody has clients of some sort you're either making a full-time living doing it or you're at least trying it's that's just what it seems like so you know tens and tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of people around the world are now coaching and in that process, there's a lot of you know, bad stuff happening, but there's also a lot of good stuff. You see a lot of people in the academic world, people that you know, were even clients of mine have gone on to get master's degrees and PhDs in and exercise science, and, and now they're carving out a literal industry. Even, even Bill Campbell, who you probably know from University of South Florida, uh, has bodybuilding nutrition courses uh, you know, at a university level And so I think you're going to see that continue. You're going to see this entire industry become more defined as this is how you do physique and exercise science-based nutrition. It's not just exercise science in terms of muscle physiology and how you train. There is now going to be a clearly defined nutrition path academically, and I think that's fantastic. The negative side is there's still no regulation. There's no standardization for that. Yeah. Um, at least at least there are laws that are are not followed. And so I, I think some of that's gonna have to be sorted out in the next few years for, for the journey to continue for everybody, but I think that's where we're at right
0: now. Yeah, that's, that's a good overview. And would it be fair to say then, things are getting more specialist, if you like, more niche, for example. Um, I spoke to Eric, Dr. Eric Helms, a while back. And I asked him, Hey, look, if I wanted to become a qualified, you know, nutritionist or a performance nutritionist for physique coaching, what would I have to do? And, you know, it was very much that way, well, you know, you kind of have to become an RD, and then you have to do this and that. And he says, You have to do the courses to get to the knowledge you want. He says, but Now, he says, you know, there are courses and and this is probably a nice little springboard to talk about what you're doing with the National Academy of Metabolic Science uh, with your peers and creating now something a bit more bespoke and a bit more premium specific to people in the industry who want to learn and apply that knowledge. Could you tell us a little bit more about what you're doing with, with NAMS uh, for the people listening and, and where you want to take that? Because that's something that I'm, as we mentioned off camera, looking at doing and, and quite interested in. Sure. Absolutely.
1: You, you know, for, first <clears throat> of all, coming from an academic background myself, I, I even went on after that first doctorate in nutrition and did a second PhD in health education because I, I thought by the end of my career, I really wanted to sit at a university level and, and teach Nutrition of some sort, and so I, you know, I've spent a lot of time working toward that end, and a lot of it is my sense of protecting people from bad information. I we see a lot of people. You probably have your own stories, you know, getting really injured, getting hurt. Sure, uh, we sure. had a we had a client come to one of our coaches at the Diet Doc with with Rabdo she had a physique coach who you know dehydrated her did all kinds of you know cardio and I, and I think it was more even just the sodium manipulation you know Jim. she ended up with 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 life changing potentially life changing you know renal issues renal failure and so those are the kind of things that make me say look there there have to be standardization measures there has to be lines in the sand as Dr. Helm said you know you legislatively the dietetic world put those laws in place exactly for that reason. However, nobody is abiding by them. And so five years ago, if you would have asked me my position on this, I would have said that's the law, that's the way it has to be, and everybody should follow that. Well, that's just a losing proposition. I see the writing on the wall. You can't take hundreds of thousands of coaches and all of these millions of people who are taking advantage of this and just say, okay, you guys can no longer do that. You know, that would, it, I, I always liken it to something like music piracy and the way digital music has gone. Uh, you know, artists and record labels have just had to adjust. They've had to change that music can be shared digitally. So they right. had to change their their outlook to meet where the market is. So my my position now is we're either going to help the situation or we're just going to stand there and ignore it like it's not happening. So exactly to your point. Uh, Tyler Mayer, who's one of our diet doc program owners, and I started the National Academy of Metabolic Science, which is a certification agency specifically for nutrition coaches. Mm -hmm. So, there have been, you know, in the last 10 or 15 years, personal training organizations that have created nutrition certifications for the general public. So, they're very much like dietetic light, quote unquote, uh, information and certifications. Uh, then I saw a, a lot of people come on board and start doing some things very academically. Uh, Precision nutrition with John Berardi, um, shredded by science, which then became the PT Collective, which Eric Helms is involved in, yeah. and I You'll saw those guys doing involved. some great things in in academics. You know, teaching science, and I thought this this is still missing the mark for somebody who wants to be an actual nutrition coach. There has to be something more practical. So we, we now are working on our third tier. The first level is to become a certified nutrition consultant. The second level is to become a physique sport coach. Mm-hmm. The third level is going to be more of a life coach, bringing in some of the, the mental health and, and sports psychology aspects to it. Yeah. Our fourth level will then be fitness entrepreneurship for people who actually want to transition from being a nutrition consultant to a coach to actually doing this for a living. And, and our goal has been – to help people become coaches we build coaches and so you know i, I think i think we're filling that lane which is a very practical how to uh specific niche
0: yeah i think that's what drawn me and what will draw people to it is again it is niche it's very specific and you can learn what you want to learn if, if you have that interest and that's as you've alluded to sometimes not the issue but can be a bit of a problem because what you want to really do is not exactly there yet. And I think over time, as you said, there's going to be more and more options opening up and then it's just a case of, well, you know, which one do you pick? Which one do you go with depending on how they're recognized or who told you about, uh, about mm-hmm. what in terms of, um, the qualification, <clears throat> excuse me, being recognized, um, how does it stand up to like your tertiary educations, etc.? Have you got people in place that go well look because of the standard that we're teaching to, it's gonna be recognized at this level? Or is it more about the people and the doctors and again the practitioners like yourselves who are creating this content that give it that um that clout or that um authenticity, if you will? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we we
1: built it <clears throat> to to be bulletproof. And the the way Things like this will eventually be tested. Is if the dietetics world decides to put some legislative teeth behind their actual laws, and you know, number one, anybody could could come in and just start shutting people down. Even just a nutrition coach, an independent coach, if you're not a registered dietitian or a medical doctor, there is specific in the United States, and I know in Canada, laws that say you cannot do what you are doing. The caveat with us is that we have two medical directors, physicians. We have a dietetics director, and those are employed by us who supervise what we do. All of the curriculum, all of the teaching material is run by them. Uh, They contribute to it, actually. So we are actually following the law in terms of what we do for the certifications that we offer to hold water uh, then you know any, any particular agency who wants to challenge us would then have to look at what we've done. and, and we base it. Our, our textbook is a is a dietetics textbook, and then we have supplemental 80 to 100 page workbooks that go through the practical aspects. Uh, each one of our tiers also has weekly videos that that you know proctor somebody through the entire course. So, so in my mind, I, I think we've done everything with such academic rigor. That, that nobody would be successful challenging us unless they would actually change the laws. Now, to your point about what kind of credibility does that have in the market, you know, I, I think there it comes down to what people will accept. So, for example, a lot of our graduates are personal trainers and they have CEU requirements in other um, agencies and so we have forms that when they say, hey, I would like to use some of my National Academy of Metabolic Science coursework yeah. to fill the requirement for CEUs for this other training organization, <clears throat> we, we, we fill out those forms for them. And, and everybody has accepted us so far. So I, I think to your point that just depending on who is involved and you know, anybody can look at our company from top to bottom, I, I think the judgment is there for
0: anybody to make. Yeah, no, thank you for answering that, Joe. Um, that makes sense. And I guess, like you said, it's dependent on a, a multitude of factors that lead up to that. In terms of, because you, you do have quite a compendium of qualifications, as I'm aware of. How do you think, um, and you've talked a little bit about of, of what you've done and where you started, having... For, from what I can see or what I would draw the conclusion of is you have quite a holistic approach because you've been able to study different facets and different themes. Do you think that's something that's benefited you as a coach to give you maybe <clears throat> excuse me, more critical thinking over the
1: years? I, I definitely think so. And, and I, that's probably one of the things that I value most in my own experience in education is – you know, when I'm working with somebody as a nutrition consultant, as a coach, you know, I do have that physiology and physical therapy background. So oftentimes, of course, people have questions about their training and and they want me to supervise that or to create that. And, you know, I I have those skills at least to contribute. We also have our training directors who who do that as well. Mm -hmm. I know that's one of your fortes. Um, But also in the mental health arena, you know, Dr. Corey Probst is our wellness director and vice president. She's a health psychologist, and so that's why we've included a lot of that information. I'm actually uh, finishing a, a third master's degree. My my second one is in creative and professional writing, mm-hmm. but I did that genre specialty in social science writing, and now I'm doing a, a third master's in social psychology. So you know all of that just to say that to to your point i i do view my clients and our program owners as you know whole people we we have a lot more um facets to our lives than just training or nutrition and so i, I do agree that i think everybody has to specialize and do what they're best at but i i like that i at least have some of those exposures to other parts of life to
0: offer our clients yeah yeah no it's um it's nice to have a bit more of a dynamic approach in those aspects i guess and with i guess listening to you and Corey probes dr Corey probes yeah there's there is always that attention to hey we are not just machines we live in the real world and i think and and correct me if I'm wrong but just listening to a couple of recent podcasts lately about what you were interested in and then when you started the the comp prep and the physique coaching and then sort of pulling away um, because you wanted to do more for the industry and then now coming back uh, and seeing where it all is and, and contributing and positively just that evolution because like you said now everyone's like a, a coach or a physique coach or something like that what advice would you give to current uh, physique coaches or strength coaches and perhaps some of the upcoming coaches in terms of some of the best steps and practices they can take. To, of course, they're going to make mistakes, but ensure a more qualitative approach for their clients. Joe. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I mean,
1: I'm glad you asked this question because I think it's very important for people who want to get into this industry to to understand what they're getting into. And, you know, I I spend a good portion of every single day addressing this question with our DiaDoc program owners. So. Besides the National Academy of Metabolic Science, where we come in and, and and educate coaches on how to be a nutrition consultant, you know, we also license or franchise our diet doc programming. So we have we have a hundred or so program owners around the world who are partnered with us. We get to mentor them, we get to be involved in them building their practices, building their businesses if they have issues with clients or questions, you know, our entire staff, including our medical directors and, you know, everybody's just right there to support uh, our program directors. And so a big part of my day and week is spent on that kind of messaging platform. You know, how do we mentor that next generation of coaches and consultants? And I would say this, I would say, first of all, understand that it is a business. And have some kind of objective time frame or way of measuring your journey into it I, I think it's a big mistake for some people to say, well I'm going to be a coach I'm 20 25 30 years old, regardless of where you are in life and just say I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do this full time and it's gonna work out great I'm gonna be a, a gazillionaire and, and it'll be fine yeah uh, it's so, it's so competitive now and because there are so many qualified people doing it and so many people who are good with their marketing and social media that for you to get that hook for you to get noticed and start building a clientele really takes something unique it, it does take a, a niche approach and you have to you have to find what you are best at what your experience and your education lends itself towards two that other people don't have Mm -hmm. and you have to be willing to show up you have to be willing to do this every day you have to be willing to go out there where those people are and and create a an entire marketing and business strategy it's not it's not just hey i like doing this i'm passionate and so therefore it's going to happen yeah Um, you know a lot of people rode that wave maybe 10 or 15 years ago and and it's just too competitive now so i think everybody has to find out exactly who they're going to be within the industry, what you want to bring to the table. And then as we're talking about, you have to really become good. Spend some time getting the education,
0: the foundations, um, and then just be willing to, to grind it out. Yeah. Yeah, you made some great points there because that's something I'm really passionate about. And even being someone younger in the industry, I do have a few peers and, and people and clients who approach me and say, Hey, Alex, you know, I. I wouldn't mind doing this. I wouldn't mind being a personal trainer or a coach or whatever it may be. And um, what do you think? And I always sort of put the question back on them. And I said, well, you know, before, you know, what do I think? I mean, what do you think? <laughs> but also just understand again, what it is you, you're getting into because you mentioned, I think people go, I like training. Um, It'll be fun. I'll, I'll just train people. I'm like, wow, you know, it's, It's so much more than just training. Like you definitely have to have a foundation, an educational background because, you know, we we see a lot of this on social media now. You know, you've got Joe Blow and, you know, Anna Carino, whoever it is. And, you know, they've got loads of followers and, and they've got this massive reach. But although that they can do some good, they can do a lot of harm because they may look good despite however they got there but they don't actually understand the fundamental principles. So they've got a huge audience and they go, here's my program. Here's my nutrition. It's cookie cutter. People follow it. They have a bad experience. And then those people are a little bit more fearful of perhaps learning again or trying to re-educate because they've got this now a bad experience with them. And it's almost easier to teach someone who's never had it. So I think – again, educating people and saying, look, if, if you want to do this, you, you need to have a certain amount of education, but also it's it, it's got to be balanced. And this will lead me to my next question, Joe. Something that I think is really important and it's really lacking is this, in this industry is business acumen. And what I mean by that is, and this is something you've talked about a lot and You've even shown me yourself, I've reached out to you, you've took the time to email me back. We've continued to to communicate and make it happen. A lot of people will give up. Now, I know people are busy, but if you run a professional business and you're good at what you do, you make time for priorities and you have time to do all those little things in your day or you have that organizational system, in your opinion, where do you think or, or what sort of business tools do you think people and, and trainers need to be more aware of to become successful because like you said you need a strategy it's not good enough to just wing it and have a good physique you know you need to be able to back it up what what are some thoughts on on that aspect of it which kind of you know go together and plug in with more of the physical if you like I'm gonna I'm
1: gonna back up and, and make a philosophical statement first, because I think, uh, I think everything we do, no matter how old we are, no matter how early or late we're, we're trying something new, everything is very developmental. So, you know, if you ask me when I was 26 years old, or actually, you know, I, I mean, I, I joke that I started my very first business in the third grade because I was, I was already taking, toys to school or things to school. And like a commodity broker, I was trading up trying to get better deals. By the time I was in seventh grade, I was actually taking contraband candy, things we shouldn't have. And I was selling it on the playground like a drug dealer. So I've, I've, I've always had a I don't know I mean maybe business acumen but at least a sense yeah. that that when there's a problem there's a solution and if you can fill that gap then you can have a successful endeavor and you know flash forward to the point when I said I had bought this gym and I was transforming it I mean I remember spending nights and weekends at the bookstore reading business books you know coming home with arms full of business books that I was reading on marketing and all this stuff and who knows what I could even understand at that point? But there was always something I could I could engage in, and I could implement, and it would take me to a next step. May not have been the best step, but it's at least a step forward in my own business trajectory. Sure. And I'm still doing that to this day. I'm still learning. I, I you know I subscribe to all kinds of business podcasts, and I listen to certain people that I value in the industry, and and I continue to learn and. And it's that kind of curiosity and open-mindedness that I think any person getting involved in business can engage in because it's not, it's not that you're learning the exact perfect formula that's, that's going to make or break you. Yeah. It's that you're just continuing to step forward, step forward, step forward, step forward. One of the very first mantras I adopted in my early business career was if you could just stay in the game long enough yeah. and keep working hard, good things will happen you will eventually find those breaks you'll have those seams that you can run through and and find open ground and that's been true you know as long as you're in the game in the hunt good things can happen so i, I just think that's that's the key it's it's just constantly learning looking for new ways to interpret the world and and move your
0: business forward yeah that makes sense the the fact that i think curiosity is what I, what I hung on to there. And if you look at, you're right, people and persons in any industry who do well, it's not that they're the most intelligent, but they generally just have this thirst for knowledge or they just have this, they really love it. You know, they're passionate about it, whether that's Richard Branson, et cetera. They just, again, it starts from a, a young age of just kind of questioning things and, and going out and making it happen. So I think um, some good takeaway from that is, people who are interested in it. If you really do love it, stick with it. Because like you said, it's not all sunshine and rainbows and eventually you will find your breaks, there will be ups, there will be downs. That's all part of the journey. And I think to um, add a personal anecdote in here, looking back over my short journey, um, some of the the, the the biggest mistakes are the best learnings. And you think, well, you know what? That wasn't good at the time. But if I'd not, if I'd not done that, would I be, where I am today, would I have that other aspect of of, of a coaching um, example or a a knowledge, if you like, to be able to put forward? So I think that's really good what you said there. Now, to to get more specific to physique sports, because it'd be a disservice if I didn't touch base on that with with your knowledge and experience, there's a a lot of misconceptions. You've been doing um, a a great series uh, with Adam Atkinson at the moment, CompRep University. I'm absolutely loving that. Uh, for, for anyone who doesn't know and is listening, it's listening, uh, I'll put the links in, in at the end, but you've got these short uh, clips that you've hashed up and you're talking about all the topics segregated into different categories about comp rep, and talking about some of the big, biggest misconceptions going forward. I'd like to touch base on a few of them uh, because competition is, is huge in Australia, Joe, and there's a lot of people doing physique sports. And going back to what you said previously, there's a lot of people getting hurt. And mm-hmm. I mean hurt. And I've even taken on, uh, in, in my short career, so some clients, uh, not necessarily for the stage, but to improve their physique, who are just downright getting starved. Um, they, they're getting uh, misinformation, which is creating bad relationships with food. And as you and, and uh, Dr. Corey allude to, Having mild eating disorders that they're not aware of, and you know, we've got to pick up the pieces and, and kind of fix it. What sort of uh, information do you think is going out or, or driving people to do some of these rash things? Uh, like for example, cutting water dramatically, sodium, messing around with a lot of variables is it more from the enhanced side of things? And that's get getting misinterpre- uh miss sorry interpreted along the way uh, what, what are your thoughts on that you
1: know, when I first started doing speak engagements at fitness camps 20 years ago or so uh, you know I, I could come in and talk about how you need to stay hydrated that muscle tissue is 65 75 percent water you, you need to leave sodium in because that's that's the the ionic balance that will keep muscle cells full you need to do things in this way, which are much more synchronous with, with your own physiology. And jaws would drop, people had never heard this because they had only seen the traditional old school peaking methods. And now today, Alex, when I go speak, uh, you know, everybody knows both sides. And so it's, it's it's an entirely, you know, fantastic 20 year run that I think we've changed an entire generation of people but because people do know both sides, some of them still choose a, a traditional old school approach that, that may be harmful. Uh, some people still coming up, of course, won't have heard. But I think there's been a dramatic impact that has been made. And of course, social media is, is a big player in that. You know, the, the coaches that, that were clients of mine that then, you know, Spawned more coaches and more coaches and more coaches. That information has been disseminated so far that to, to me it's almost it's almost laughable to even keep promoting this right or you know correct methodology because it's there in textbooks it's out there I think everybody knows about it but at the same time uh, to your point you know it's it's still not one hundred percent so I think. It is incumbent upon every single person listening. And, and I think it comes down to people today, when they need information, they search for it. They'll, they'll go to the internet, they'll go to YouTube, they'll go to these platforms, and, and at least the information is out there, which is why you're doing your, your podcast. That's why I do my, my social media work. That's why people like you know, Eric Helms and, and Lane Norton and, and Paul Ravella and, and everybody else is doing the same thing. So so I really think in, in 20 years, you know, we've gotten this far. I think very shortly we're going to have gone all the way. And yeah. I'm sure there will always be misinformation out there, but it will be at least clouded
0: by by all of the, the correct methodology. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, like you said, there's that, or how I interpret it, it's almost a bit of an upturn uh, that I've seen in the industry now because, like you said, you've got people like, you know, Helms, Lane Norton, Paul Ravella, et cetera, who are – out there now and not only have they got the knowledge but they have a really good marketing presence now where i think a couple of years ago they didn't really have that and i think they were encouraged by their peers uh, to hey look you are you've got some great knowledge you've got a great physique get out there use that because unfortunately yeah if you look good people are going to click on the image and people are going to read the caption And uh, to quote something like Spider-Man, it's like, with great power comes great responsibility. But this is true because you have a lot of influence. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying that uprise of people now who have both sides of the coin and they're directing people onto better paths with better education. And we're seeing perhaps, and I think if we we don't have any statistics, so I I don't know if there's, there's any aware, but people are probably becoming more aware of the better knowledge or more of an it's not even better knowledge like you said it's just more of an evidence-based pragmatic here it is this is the science why would you why would you if we know i remember to to use a, a personal example i was speaking to eric this is when i first got in contact with him years ago and uh, i asked him about the whole i was doing a mini cut and i said oh should i um you know drop drop my carbs down really low or for whatever reason and he goes well He says, if you want to achieve a certain look, if we know, you know, and he kind of sort of made me answer my own question about, you know, carbohydrate and glycogen uptake and saturation, why would you want to take that out? And I was like, oh yeah, like if I think about that from a logical standpoint, why would I want to do that and appear flatter when I could be fuller? Now, obviously there's a lot of contingencies if we go into depth around that, but it was that whole of empowerment. But also if you look at the actual evidence, if there's no competition. It's very much like, oh, I, yeah, I, I should definitely do X, not not Z. Um, so it is interesting in in that facet. Now you've coached hundreds of people, thousands of people, and and many to successful pro cards. Something that I'd love to talk about, which um, I'm really interested in, and I want to do next time around on my comp prep is the metabolic building phase and how to set that up. So could you talk us through that, Joe, for people listening of athletes and coaches who who may not be aware, and how to sort of set that up, maybe a bit of a, you know, sort of an all-around premise on it? Sure,
1: so if we go all the way back to those late 80s, I'm sorry, late late 90s, early 2000s, when I was creating a lot of articles for magazines, I would I would have deadlines for four or five different magazines, so I was constantly trying to come up with meaningful content, and uh, you know, there, there still wasn't a lot of research being done specifically in nutrition science like there is now, yeah. and so I was I was really having to dig deep into physiology textbooks, nutrition textbooks, and say, okay, how, how can I bridge this gap between competitors who need this information and, and what true science is? And so I would yeah. often try and create some definitions, I'm almost like building uh, an entire, n- not, not even college course, but a discipline. You know, if, if, if the, the field of anthropology did not exist and you had to build it from scratch, you first have to lay down concepts and principles and, and build on those to create an entire field. And so, without even realizing that's what I was doing, that's how much of the contest prep coaching industry was built. From those early articles and one of the one of these series that I wrote was dividing up contest dieting into phases here's physiologically what happens as you start moving through a contest prep so initially you you have not been in a calorie deficit you're just starting the dieting process and so you have to figure out how you're going to transition into that calorie deficit. Then there's this, this long phase of dieting where you might have to fine tune some things and and your metabolism is going to change a little bit, but you're really trying to create that, that maximum amount of fat loss for the longest period of time. Then you start running up against your metabolic set point where your body's going to start adjusting. Um, you know, hormone levels are changing and, you, you really have to be prepared to fight against your body, you know, survival mechanisms. Yeah. And then you have to start fine-tuning down toward the stage. How are you going to look? How are you going to set up your peaking process? And, and toward the end, you know, what I, what I had discovered was w- when you're constantly just trying to diet down into a show, you know, you may or may not qualify the, the timing properly. Yeah. You may or may not look your best, but but one thing was for sure, you're always going to be in that flat, dieted deficit because so many people were afraid. I mean, and this terminology still exists, to peak too soon. If you peak too soon, for some reason, people thought that that was going to be a disaster. You would just diet away into oblivion. You'd get too small, too flat, yeah. and quite to the contrary, if you're ready early and you have time to start ramping food back up, you create an upward spiral of fantastic responses. The first thing that happens, and I'm not talking about binging, if you you see somebody who just finished a show and they eat an inordinate amount of food, they start eating just tons, of course they're going to get softer, they're going to gain body fat, they're going to look horrible. But if you're very precise and very incremental – you can start increasing somebody's metabolic capacity. You're going to start driving more of an anabolic environment. All of a sudden, training is going to be better. Even the, the neat, non exercise, you know, thermogenesis is going to start picking it up because they're just more active. Yeah. And so you create this upward pressure where your metabolism is rising. So, all of a sudden, you need more food and you need more food and you need more food so, with my clients you know you you mentioned i 've over over twenty years i 've won almost five hundred pro cards with clients and more than one hundred and fifty pro titles with clients it 's almost now too easy because the rest of the field doesn 't take advantage of something this simple you know I, I mentioned that back in the day, people were still dehydrating they were still doing these rapid backloads and sodium depletion. So I could walk into any show, win every pro card, win every title, because my athletes just even even if they were genetically inferior, they were always going to look better. Yeah. So so this year alone, you know, I calculated, I looked at all of my clients that we've had so far, and ninety-five percent of the time my clients have taken the stage this year, they've won at least their class, if not the overall. You know, I'm, st- I'm still winning pro cards every week, even 20 years you know, into my career. And, and a lot of the times, Alex, it's just because they have that advantage of having me help them through these processes that allow them to not only be their best ever, not only the best condition of their life, but the best possible condition they can physiologically be in. So how many people ever walk on stage... And they can say, this is the absolute best I could physically ever be right now at this moment in time. And it's not just a peaking method. It's, as you said, it's this entire dieting process that leads up to the point. You know, I've had clients who may have dieted on 150, 125 grams of carbohydrates. And then all of a sudden, you know, the last month of the show prep, they're eating 300 to 400. And they're still getting leaner. Yeah, uh, and I'm I'm using a female as an example. Um, you know, one of my one of my pro females just mm-hmm. won her th- her third, uh, you know, pro title in the last couple of years, and and you know that's after after an entire career of not being able to achieve that success, she's now found a way to genetically be her best by by coming into the show in that kind
0: of condition with that kind of approach. Yeah, which is phenomenal, and I I love hearing those stories, the, the the actual anecdotal evidence and you talk about it and just all those little things. And again it's almost that and I think the paradox about this is that even though there is a, a procedure and there is a process to it, it's actually more simple once you understand it and if you stick to the basics than it is to start pulling things and changing things. And once again it's logical. I competed last year. Now it was a it was a coach called i don't know if you've heard of uh nathan wallace who's one of the best um, um coaches in our in australia and his uh, company hold your own and he mentioned to me it was a while back and he says i said nathan you know when you were competing and he's amazing physique what, what how did you stop when did you start learning about this whole you know not taking the sodium out thing and because i was sort of like researching he goes well actually alex it's just there's this guy called dr joe klemzeski and he's like this godfather of nutrition he's like and i started getting on his stuff and this is really funny and you'll enjoy this because he said in australia i was one of the first coaches not the first but one of to start doing this and once again no one had done this and everyone's like oh you're you're crazy nate like you almost won the show don't do that next year like you just need to get bigger you know harder grainier and he's like yeah okay whatever and he's like no it doesn't logically make sense. And he practiced you know, some of the things that that you'd you been teaching. And lo and behold, he came in and, and uh, looked amazing and destroyed the show. So I guess from uh, that standpoint of when you look at it and going, well, you see people backstage who are like killing themselves, but then you see that person who's just smiling, they're very calm. Again, it's holistic. There's, there's other things involved in it. And they just look so good. And you're like, how, how are you doing this? But usually it's that less is more approach rather than playing with all these contingencies and, and, and the physique later on. With um, the metabolic building phase, and and you did mention it, it is a bit of a setup because you can't just jump into it if you've not sort of um, backed that up with you know building your metabolism early on per se by not running yourself down too low. Or like you said, having a timeline, you can't all of a sudden go, well, I'm just going to eat up into the show because if you're not lean enough, it doesn't really work, uh, or, or, or so are my thoughts are, because you can't get that um, those effects or those adaptations, if you will. How do you measure? What's your specific process, if you don't mind sharing with clients, Joe, whether you're in person or I imagine a lot of the clients are... You know, in different states and overseas. Do you have like a spreadsheet sheet that you use? Do you have weekly check ins, phone calls? Is it a bit different? How does the kind of that can, can you talk me through the specific process of how you coach more elite clients? Absolutely. So, uh, first of all, I, I remember
1: Nathan. Nathan was a client of mine probably about 10 years ago. Fa- ah. Fantastic guy, very, very hardworking and uh, yeah, great <sighs> genetics. I, I knew he was going to do fantastic. Um, so great great to hear his name after all these years oh
0: yeah he's uh, been an amazing inspiration
1: to me uh, great guy uh, so so my my process in working with clients uh, you know, first of all, like you probably have heard Adam Atkinson and I both talk about in contest prep university. you know we we would always love to have the longest amount of time with a client uh it It's very often the case that somebody will start right after a contest season. maybe they they were disappointed, maybe they didn't do you know, what they thought they could. They worked with a coach who wasn't that qualified. And so a lot of people come right at that point. And we have an entire off season to work together. We can plan the whole pre-contest mm-hmm. prep phase. And that, that's fantastic. But other times, you just don't have that luxury. Yeah. And one of, these, one of these times happened uh, with, with two groups of clients in the last month. I had, I had two clients come to me who they were working with a coach, and they just knew that coach was in over their head. They, they wanted to do these national shows. And this, this coach just was not qualified to do that. So they said, hey, we've only got two weeks before this, sh- this show. Can you help us? And so I said, look, I, I will do absolutely the best I can. Let's, let's hurry up, get on the phone. Let's, let's look at all the data. Let's look at all of your, your nutrition history and, and photos. And, and, of course, I can very quickly jump in and, and help write a ship into what I think is gonna be the best course of action. But then my hope is okay, we got through that and with this particular couple, it included, you know, a bunch of wins and you know pro status and all of that. And and now we can take our time and, and really have a better impact. But you know, my, my process is the same with anybody, which is to as be as focused on them as individuals, get to know their physique, their genetics. You you mentioned You know the 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 best thing in the world to do is to keep it simple, and the way you do that is by understanding physiology and nutrition science, so that you can work with somebody's body, with somebody's genetics. Everybody's approach might be quite a bit different. I remember Nathan. I mean, the the guy's metabolism is incredible, so he's he's eating so much food. And then you've got other people who might need a lot less. And you might need to go almost toward a quasi-ketogenic approach, which would not be my favorite, but for some clients, you know, that's necessary. But but my my general process is to definitely keep somebody leaner than usual, you know, not, not contest lean. You don't want them to be below their metabolic set point. But anytime somebody gains too much body fat in an off-season in, in the hope that, well, that's going to build more lean body mass and, and help their metabolism, uh, yes, that's true, but then you have to go through a longer, harder dieting process, and so you lose all of those benefits. And I've, I've shown clients, here's what you look like after losing 40 pounds. Here's what you look like after losing 15 or 20 And even at the same contest weight, I've got pictures I use in my lectures. It it looks like somebody weighs 10 or 15 pounds more. They have more lean body mass, even at the same body weight, just because they didn't have to diet as hard or as long. So so my approach is to definitely keep keep body fat to a moderate minimum and then make sure that we're targeting contest condition four to six weeks early. So we can go through that metabolic building phase, and then, as you mentioned, using that as a setup for the peaking process, then we can keep all of the variables moving in the same direction. So we have that metabolic building phase, but then I like to use a, a progressive linear load. So instead of a rapid back load or a front load or an undulating load with carbohydrates during peak week. I like to have met kind of a, a minimum glycogen base in carbohydrates, so I think that they're they're close to being full. Yeah, and then then we just taper up 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 toward the show, so that by the time we get to contest day, we have not spilled over. We haven't created this this homeostatic pendulum where we're trying to time sodium, water, potassium, carbohydrates, things like that. Training. We've got everything moving in the same direction so that they can walk into the contest. And I know that they're going to be very resilient to carbohydrate fluctuations meal to meal. I know exactly where I need to target a little bit more water or sodium to get them fuller. And, And it's so much easier to predict, Alex, how they're going to look on stage and, and then control that all day long. You know, we can, for multiple classes, for a, a prejudging and a finals on different days or different times of the day, we can keep replicating that
0: without worry. Yeah, I, I think some of the, like, that consistency is, is so key because when you're that lean, you can change these variables or manipulate those simple variables like you said I think from listening it's it's mainly like your water and your sodium at that point because you've almost got that blank canvas if you like to paint on in your right we can we can see what's happening here now and again it gives you such a confidence not only for you I think as the coach and the athlete being able to go into a show and going I know what I am I know I'm going to look this good and then if we can add that extra 2% at the end, that cherry on the top, then mm. that's that's beautiful because I think, like you said, getting to that 100%, if you use a percentage, people go, oh, you know, I want to be my best and everyone wants to be their best, but it's like, well, hey, look, we we, we know now with this more pragmatic approach, we can get you looking and like pretty much 99% and then that 1% might be a, like you said, you're tweaking things on the day and I think that comes down to experience, and correct me if I'm wrong. What what would your thoughts be on the day when you're monitoring a client and you have to change these variables? What are you looking for um, in the physique of the client, uh, with, with perhaps their attitude as well, to know? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna adjust these these variables just to get that little bit more more out of them.
1: So if if I'm coming from a successful metabolic building phase and we've used a progressive linear load, then then my position typically the morning of a show is they're going to wake up looking about like they have every other day of the week, which is a little bit flat. Everybody is their sharpest in the morning. You know, we've been asleep. We've been horizontal. So our lymphatic system have, has absorbed interstitial fluid back into the vascular system, so everybody wakes up and they immediately take pictures, and and that's kind of their gold standard for tightness. Yeah, and you have to expect that you're not going to maintain that per se. It's not going to be as tight, you know, throughout the day but what i like to do is have clients especially in those last couple weeks you know take take pictures at different times of the day i want to see what you look like at noon at, at night i want to i want to start replicating what you look like at a at a prejudging or finals time frame yeah. and then you know that that becomes a little bit closer to our objective target and so my goal, Alex, is is as they're going meal to meal, because I'll I'll ask them, you know, a couple hours after every single meal, send me a couple of photos. We're gonna use a messaging app. So on contest day, it's rapid fire communication. And and I've already got their meals and their water, everything mapped out, except of course, timing changes with the, the scheduling and the flowing of, of show, um, you know, classes and all that. Yeah. So so typically you know, I, I have them just on the edge, or getting a little bit fuller with each meal. We're probably on about the same amount of food on contest day as they were the day before. Uh, you know, you're not going to really assimilate more glycogen, you're not going to assimilate carbohydrate the day of the show. It takes 24 to 48 hours. So whatever glycogen base we brought into the show is going to be typically our, our home base. And now it's a matter of hydration, sodium, things like that, that can really push water into the muscle cells. So what I'm looking at is to get a little bit fuller, a little bit fuller as we get up to the the pre-pump-up time. So about an hour before they're going to be on stage, we'll start that process. I'll typically start increasing water. Uh, I may or may not have to increase sodium depends on their, their metabolism and how much food they've been consuming. Okay. But you know, that's, that's the, the trickiest portion for me now in peaking clients this way is to push the envelope as far as we can to be as full as possible. Cause I know they're going to be tight. How much fullness can we gain without crossing that line into yeah. spilling over? And so you know, like you said, we're, we're trying to get to 100%, but if we get to 99, if we get to 98, you know, where's that winning range for, yeah. for every person that they can maintain? And I'm often very surprised because when when you peak this way, and then all of a sudden, you know, you get those photos back from the stage where now they've had that pump-up time, they've been on stage with the adrenaline, the posing, and then I get those pictures back, I'm like, wow, that that was even better than I expected because all those variables just kind of converge at the right time. But again, you never cross a physiological line where you have these variables crisscrossing homeostatically and you can expect some kind of weird rebound, you know, that just doesn't happen. So now they could come off stage and if they have another class in 15 minutes or 30 minutes, we know exactly what we're going to do because based on what they did for that class, Maybe we don't need anything. We just need to rest a little bit, you know, get off their feet. Maybe we just need a little bit more water. Maybe if they're gonna be back on stage an hour or two, we'll have another small snack. But a lot of these calls are done in true coaching fashion. They're you know, it's like being on the sideline of a field and you've gotta make the right call at the right time. You gotta call in the right play because you're you're checking out the, the defense, so to speak.
0: Yeah. For sure. It's, it's, I guess it's something that comes with time and experience and it's a little bit intuitive, but it's nice to, like you said, have that more reliable look. And then I guess it is a case of experience where you're you're going, well, okay, based on that, let's try a little bit of this. And again, always pushing to get more and you're sort of like just crafting it at the end there. And as you said, all bike that you've had a successful run up to that point and uh, and then being able to springboard off it. So, in essence of that, Joe, if if you could go back and speak to your younger self, so I'm I'm 27 currently. I'm still very young and new to the industry per se, uh, especially with what I want to do with with physique clients and comp prep. If you just could go back and just have a quick conversation, it might be a two to five minute conversation. What are some advice that you'd give to yourself um, from where you are now, from what you've learned?
1: You know, one of the one of the things that I did was I, I, I looked at my career in blocks of time. You know, what am I working on now? Once I achieve this, what's the next step? What's the next step? You know, when I was 27 years old, because that's when I bought that first gem and, and created the, the business that you see today. Yeah. Um, you know, I I would think, where do I want to be when I'm 40? What do I? Where do I want to be when I'm 50? And of course, you can't anticipate changes in the market and in culture. You know, most of what you see in business today didn't exist when I was 27. Uh, but at the same time, I at least had that goal, in that 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 forethought to to create some kind of an arc for my career that I wanted to follow. Um, the the one thing that I did was I wanted to make sure that I had balance in my life, so to speak. And so, you know, I knew, or at least I thought I would not be coaching for my entire career. So I always had other avenues to move into. And what I didn't realize was that this whole coaching industry was going to grow and it was only going to become something more solid on which you could build a business. So, you know, I I think if I could say I've I don't even count this as a mistake because I really like where my career is, yeah. but I did not take advantage of the newest platforms out there. When, when social media started, of course, you, you may or may not even know this term, MySpace. So yeah. MySpace was, was then you know catabolized <laughs> by, by Facebook. And uh, every time a new platform came out, I always thought that was a distraction to business. And so I would say, well, that's, that's nice. I'll let the kids go do that. I'm busy running a business. And then Instagram would come out and then Snapchat. And I'd be like, that's nice. That's nice. I'm, I'm too busy running a real business.
0: Yeah, for sure. and, and
1: I started viewing these things differently, of course, now, I mean, here I am doing podcasts and I've got, you know, several podcast series of my own. For sure. And so the, the thing that I missed is how fast communication flow changes And I don't even like to consider these things called social media as platforms or social media. It's just communication. It's just how people speak. And so what I would say to my younger 27-year-old self is be willing to go every single place where you can anticipate the conversation is going to be next because everybody trying to get that advantage in client acquisition or building your own career, building your own brand It's a lot easier being a big fish in a small pond like I was in print media, you know, in the late 90s. And so I I see an awful lot of people today who are not necessarily the most experienced coaches or the most educated coaches, but they create tremendous business presence and, and branding and identity and therefore success because they simply went in front of where the trends were. So anybody trying to build a business now, and I would put this in the context of me speaking to myself, sure. it would be stay on that front edge of communication and just be consistent. Even when you think you're wasting your time, even when you think you don't have enough followers, you know, you only get 10 views on a video, you only get five likes. I mean, everybody starts there. You've got to stay consistent, and you have to build that unique novelty that you have. Your Whatever your passion is, You've got to stick with it, stay in front of those communication curves, and, and you have to
0: outlast everybody else. That's uh, that's great advice, Joe, and definitely something I'll take on board myself. I think it's too easy to to give up, um, especially nowadays, because it's that double-edged sword. Like we we have access to all of this or all of these platforms, which can be a little overwhelming sometimes. But at the same time, if we don't take advantage of them or at least open to the idea. And as you said, stay, I think keyword is consistency. Sometimes I spoke to an old school bodybuilder years ago in a, in a world gym franchise. And he, he said, uh, he's a big German guy, six foot tall and his dad used to be a boxer. And he said to me, Alex, he goes, my dad always used to say to me, he goes, it's the last man standing. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he goes, just be consistent. He goes, if you stay in the game long enough, you will beat your opponents. And I was like, okay, that's, that's, that's a fair point. You know? So a funny example, but nonetheless, the things that stay with you uh, throughout your journey sometimes, again, it's a bit of simple advice, but it's it's the truth. Um, and I think that's that's a nice way to to almost round out the conversation. But before we finish, Joe, I, I usually ask some sort of more lighthearted, fun, what I call rapid-fire questions, mm. uh, which I'll put to you. Just shows uh, a bit of a human element and uh, perhaps the, the man behind Dr. Joe Clems asking. Um, so we'll get through a couple of those and then I'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up with my final question, which is a bit more serious, which I ask all my guests. So my first question is, Joe, what's your, what's your favorite food? If you had one last meal, what, what would that look like for you?
1: Um, I would probably have to go with, uh, with pizza. With the pizza? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, there's probably a nice handful of, of items there, but, uh, but it's tough to beat a good pizza.
0: Yeah, this is this is true, and and here, um, at your neck of the woods, you got a few really good ones. I've just been watching a a feed Phil documentary actually, and he's going around uh, all the world, and even he, it's still apparently the states has the the best uh, food. New York apparently still holds it specifically, so I'll uh, have to get over there at some point. All right, what about a, if you if you had a superpower for a day, what would your superpower be? What would you choose? You can have anything.
1: Oh, um, that is a, that is a tough one. Uh, I, I would, I would say to, uh, to, can you, can you have omnipotence, like knowing the future? Is that a superpower or, uh, yeah, you can have whatever you want. Okay. <laughs> That's the yeah, beauty I, I would say, uh, I would say that because again, it's, it's changing so rapidly right now. I, th- I think the biggest, the biggest advantage to anybody in business and, and maybe even in life is just to, to have one eye on the horizon and constantly be anticipating where you want to guide your business or your own
0: personal development. So, so I'd have to say that. Sure. That's, that's a good one. That's the, no one's answered that yet. That's quite unique. And that if you could meet one person dead or alive over dinner, have a conversation, any particular person it would be. Oh, I, I may have to go in the music realm for that.
1: Um, some, a great pioneer, like, like, uh, John Lennon or even somebody alive, like, like Bob Dylan. I'm, I'm, I just love good uh, good songwriters, so I
0: would have to go with somebody like that. Yeah, respect. That's that's a good one. Uh, that will be uh, an interesting conversation for sure. And the last question, Joe, uh, which I ask all my guests, is can you identify uh, a fear in your life or a main fear that you had uh, in, in the form of it might have been an obstacle or you know, a problem, an issue or something? that you had to overcome and it was a pivotal time perhaps and you took a great learning. It was like a new chapter or maybe it was a, a keystone habit you took out of it. Can you share with us um, one of one of those examples please? Yeah, I, I think it's
1: probably the fear that has guided my entire life which uh, for some reason I, I had a pretty strong self-realization early on which is uh, a, a fear of not living the life that I would want to live. Mm-hmm. So somewhere along the line, I'm sure some speaker, you know, impressed upon me that concept of, you know, hey, you don't want to be on your deathbed and and have these regrets. And so I remember just very early on thinking, um, you know, w- with that kind of a filter, uh, you know, is this the life I want to live? And so when when somebody looks at you know the things i've done and say gosh you know you've you've done so much that's the most common thing i hear yeah it's it's because i think i've had that that fear of you know not having experienced what i want and and, and i'm much more settled about that i'm not manic about trying to you know cram everything i can into my life but I, I am very specific about the things that I want to experience and learn and enjoy and do. And so I've, I very much have been guided by that that, that fear or principle.
0: Mm. That's uh, a very, uh, I guess, an appropriate way to to round it out as well. And it sort of sums things up well. Uh, and again, I'm sure people can take a lot out of that and draw their own conclusions and, and hopefully pursue their own life fears, uh, as I always say. And for, for people who want to find out more about you, Joe, what you do, what you're doing with your company, et cetera, where are the best places to, to tune in and find uh, those uh, resources, if you like?
1: So, our, our main website, Alex, is thediadoc.com. I think you can see that on my screen here. Um, but also, my Instagram is at Joe Klimczewski. So, I try and filter everything through there or Facebook. but as you mentioned, we also have our own podcasts, and so you know through YouTube or Stitcher or SoundCloud or Apple, uh, you can find the Diet Doc Life Mastery podcast and Contest Prep University podcast. But uh, they all they all kind of branch out from our website, so that might be the
0: easiest place to contact me. Sure, sure. And uh, thank you for sharing. And I'll for everyone listening as well, I'll put those links in the show notes below as always. And I do encourage you to, to follow up on those because they are very valuable. I know I've taken a lot of um, knowledge and information that's helped me and bring a lot of clarity um, myself. So I do encourage people to, to listen on there as well. And Joe, once again, thank you for your time. And I really appreciate, um, you know, <laughs> finally teeing it up and it was a bit of a process. We got there with the time zones <laughs> eventually. And um, yeah, to, to keep doing what you're doing and making this positive impact because you know, you've been told many times by many people, it is quite inspirational, you know, what you've achieved, um, where you're going, what you're doing, but it's people like you that we need to kind of keep pioneering forward and then again the people who you're coming in contact with and constantly growing and, and, and again spawning if you like who are getting inspired by people like yourself and continuing to increase the industry standard make a more positive impact and create a career and a lifestyle out of this which I think at the end of the day is really important because we live in a world now where we can do anything we want. In my opinion, we can, you know, build a career from our passions, and uh, it's 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 um it's an important message I think for people to understand that they can live this this better life. So, thank you again, Joe. Uh, I appreciate it. We may have to do a specific round two at some point on some more key topics if you're up for that. But um, yeah, thank yeah. thank you, Alex, so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. Uh, absolutely absolutely my pleasure joe thanks for sharing the golden nuggets and for everyone listening thank you for tuning in and as always until next time guys stay fearless